thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you wanna know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message. Well, welcome to Victory Church. We're so glad you're here this morning. I wanna welcome online and OKC today. Edna, can we welcome OKC joining us online? We're so glad that you are here. Thank you so much for allowing the Holy Spirit to use technology today. Uh, let me just say happy weekend after Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, real quick, before I continue, I wanna take a second and honor our lead pastor. Now, if you've been here, you probably realize that anytime Pastor John's not on the stage and there's a guest communicator, uh, we honor Pastor John. Why do we do that? It's not because he asks us to. I can promise you that. I've never once heard him uh, to ask for honor. He's not a man who seeks honor, uh, but he is a man that lives honorably and leads honorably. And when we as a church have the opportunity to be led by a pastor who leads honorably, then any chance that I get to honor that man, that's what I'm going to do. He's a man who has seen so much in me when I haven't seen it in myself. He's allowed me to grow. So can we honor Pastor John who's watching this back right now? We thank you for your leadership, the directional leadership team, Oscar Wade. Thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to, to preach today. Uh, I've got three encouragements for you. Is that cool? Why is it always three? Why do preachers always go with three points? Well, uh, let's just be honest. If it was just two, it would feel incomplete. Like, really? You, you couldn't give one more? You sure? Like, there could have been one more. There. If it was four, you'd be like, Cameron, I'm not a brain surgeon. I can't ex be expected to, to remember all these points. So we're going to go to three today, okay? And the, uh, the title of my message today, if you are a, a note taker, write this down. The title of my message today is this. You good? Turn your neighbor and say, you good? You good? Now turn to your other neighbor and say, did you have a happy Thanksgiving? Raise your hand if you had a happy Thanksgiving, Edmund O'Casey. Good. Yeah, some of you had a really happy, good Thanksgiving uh, because you love Thanksgiving food, right? Where are my Thanksgiving food people at? Yeah. The others of you would have enjoyed Thanksgiving a lot more if it was McDonald's. You just don't like Thanksgiving food, right? You're not convinced on it. You're like, hey, if it was really that good, we'd eat it every day of the year. Instead, we save it for one day and get it out of the way, right? Some of you had a really good Thanksgiving because you got to hang out with your family and see all these people. Others of you uh, did not have a good Thanksgiving because you got to see all your family and all that kind of stuff. Some of you had the best Thanksgiving you've ever had because you didn't see any of your family. It was just you with your dogs at home and you were so thankful, right? What am I, what am I trying to get at here? Good Thanksgivings are relative, right? It's different for everybody. What makes a good Thanksgiving for you may not be the same for me. And if I could be honest with you today, I feel like being good in the world that we live in today is relative, right? I could try to be good to you in a way that I think is good, but to you, it could be 100% offensive. We've seen this in our world today, and it makes it incredibly hard to be a good person. Let me paint you a little, a, a little story of how this could happen. So uh, let's just say that you're, you're ready to go to dinner and you're feeling tacos uh, because the Lord knows how to give good gifts to his children and he gave us tacos, amen? And so you end up at Fuzzies, right? Any Fuzzy Taco fans? Now, the reason why you end up at Fuzzies is because you were trying to be a good person. And if you, uh, if you, the other alternative is Torchies, and we know that Torchies is the devil's tacos. Uh, they got demons all over that place, right? 
The people that are laughing are laughing because they've genuinely thought that. Like, I'm a Christian. Can I actually go to a place where you open the door and it's pitchforks? Like, is that okay? You've thought about this, right? This isn't just me. So you're at Fuzzies and you're halfway through the line and you look back and you notice that somebody comes in the back door and they're waving at their friends that are right in front of you. So you're trying to be a good person, right? So while being a good person, you say, hey, come on. Come on up here. You wave them through. Being a good person, you realize that every single person that they walk by on their way to get to you is scowling at you because you're a good person to one, but now there's more people in front of them, right? So it's good to one, but not necessarily good to everybody else. And then you get up to order your food, and you had just watched a video about how terribly they treat cows and chickens. So you're like, you know what? I'm not hurting a cow and chicken today. I'm ordering bean and cheese nachos. I'm going to be a good person today, okay? But it comes with a soda. And so you go to the, 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 the soda fountain. You remember that sodas are terrible for you. And so you're like, I'm going to be a good person today. I'm going to go with water. I'm going to get water, okay? So you get water and uh, you go to get a straw and a lid. And then you realize that you saved the cows and the chicken when you order, but now you're killing turtles by getting a straw, so instead, you decide, you know, I'm not going with the lid and straw today. I'm living dangerous. I'm going no cover today. As you turn around, you bump somebody and water goes everywhere because you didn't get a lid. Okay, so you turn right around. You grab 30 napkins to pick up the water. You realize that while you were saving the turtles, now you're killing the trees because you're using so many napkins, right? So you do that, and while you get all that done, you get all cleaned up, you're all stressed out, you get to your table, and you're just chowing on your bean and cheese nachos to try and comfort yourself, and you realize that your decision to save the cows and the chickens is now hurting the people around you, because beans, beans are the magical fruit. The more you eat, the more you... I didn't know fart jokes still work in big church. It's hard to be a good person. Can we be honest? Sometimes I don't want to be a good person. Sometimes I just want to be a, a person. Like, is that okay? It's hard to be a good person in today's world. And can I tell you, Jesus had something to say about being good. He had something to say about it. Uh, I'm going to take you to a story in, in the book of Mark. So if you're following along in your Bible or in the YouVersion uh, Bible app, you can go with your notes with me. We're going to go to the book of Mark, chapter 10, 17 through 18. And pick it up in a story, and it says this. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Listen to what Jesus has to say about being good. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. Only God is good. You sound a little offensive to the people in the room that think they're pretty good, right? Like, God, are you sure? I'm a pretty good person. I do, I do all right. But in the same instance, it can also relieve pressure from you and I because we do have this pressure to live a life of being a good person. But in this instance, we see that God is the only one that is truly good. So maybe that can relieve some pressure off of us. In fact, you and I were never really meant to, to worry about what is good and bad in the first place. That was not meant to be ours to define. In fact, I would go as far as to say is knowing the difference between good and bad was not in our original design. Can I prove it to you? Can you go there with me? Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, 8 through 9 says this. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the garden, trees that were beautiful, that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil, good and bad. 
Let's skip down a couple verses to verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. If you know how this story goes, in the very next chapter, chapter 3, we're introduced to our enemy, right? He comes as a certain a serpent, his name's Satan. And from that day forward, he has been doing his best to make God's children, God's creation, you and I, feel like he feels. Separated from God, outcast, evil, tries to make us feel that same exact way. And so how does he do this to Adam and Eve? He introduces them to the very tree that will give them the knowledge of the difference between good and evil. Let's read on. Chapter 3, 6 through 7. The woman was convinced, the serpent was convincing her to take of the tree. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. As soon as Adam and Eve received the knowledge of good and evil, the very first thing they feel is shame, which we know is one of the key, uh, key weapons of the enemy, is shame. So could it be that by introducing something into our minds and our hearts that was not a part of our original design, the knowledge between good and bad, we also receive the ability to feel shame? Could it be that that was the enemy's plan all along? And yet you and I utilize that tool that he gave us every single day to measure whether we are being a good or a bad person. But shame is not the only feeling that the, this knowledge of good and bad uh, gives us. There's another feeling that this knowledge can allow us to feel. And we find that back in our original story with this man who's also known. He was a, he, he's, if you read the header, it says rich young man. Some said rich young ruler, uh, religious leader. Uh, this is Jesus' response to him when he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says this, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and mother. This is his response. Listen to his response. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments. Really? All of them? One of the translations says, since I was a young, young man. Really? Since you were young, you've never cheated? You never lied. You never dishonored your mother and father. You never played a game of checkers with your cousin that was too young to understand the game and just cheated your way into winning. You never stole some of the Cheez-Its off of your, your uh, friend's plate in children's church. Like, really? You've kept all of those commandments? Either this man could have crawled up on the cross and died the perfect sacrifice and we didn't need Jesus, or there's a little bit of pride here, right? Really? I've kept all of them. Jesus saying, you good? You good? Like, you're good? See, being good in our own strength and understanding will always lead to pride. 
I'll say that again. Being good in our own strength and understanding will always lead to pride. And we experience in this, this in our own lives, right? We do something. We feel like we're a really good person. Man, do you see how I let that person in front of me in traffic? I am the most patient person I've ever met. Man, do you see how I gave that homeless person $5? I'm such a giving person. Goodness. I served on the dream team three weeks in a the row. They just kept scheduling me and I just showed up because I've just got such a servant's heart. Man, I'm so servant-minded. I did so good at work and I didn't ask my boss for one compliment or praise. I am just the most humble person I have ever met. We do this, right? In our good deeds, in our own understanding, we experience pride. Really, when the enemy opened this gate for the the knowledge of good and evil, he really opened it up for us to just be able to experience two emotions, pride or shame. And it's a trap. It's a trap. You will experience one of the two. And that leads me to my first encouragement for you today. Watch out for the trap of self-righteousness. Okay? Watch out for the trap of self-righteousness. When we hear the word self-righteous, we think of those people that are holier than thou. They're very self-righteous. Or we can think of the people that, that um, think that their good deeds can win them eternal life. But self-righteousness also can cause you to experience shame. Self-righteousness feels good when I'm doing good. But when, when I start doing bad, I have to, if I'm going to step into that trap, I'll experience its teeth. And those teeth are called guilt and shame. And that's exactly what this man is about to experience And this next part of the story, let's go back to the story. Mark 10, 21 through 26. This is Jesus' response. It says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Remember that statement for later. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told them. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. As at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. And I'll tell you why here in just a little bit. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked, why are they so amazed by this? Why are they so astounded? Let me take you back into this culture a little bit. So in this culture where religious, uh, religiousness was running rampant, uh, the religious leaders of those, day, of those days had a good job of creating weight around the circumstances that people found themselves in. So for example, if you found yourself with a disease or blindness or anything like that, they would believe that you had sin in your life and God was punishing you for that. And in the exact opposite aspect, if you were living a healthy life, it's because you were living in right standing with God. In the same way with finances, if you found yourself poor, broke, and needy, and begging, you had probably done something, and therefore God allowed those circumstances to happen. In the other aspect, where this man finds himself, if you were affluent, if you were rich, and you were religious, they believed that you were living a very holy and right with God life. And so that's why when God says this man, and not just this man, but rich men have a hard time getting into heaven, they are astounded. 
They're looking at this guy, and they say, if he can't be saved, then who in the world can be saved? Who in the world can be saved? And honestly, if we were to look at our world today, look at everything going on around us, our, our question would probably be the exact same. How can this be saved? Who can save this world? Who can save the people in this world? And then if we were to be really honest and look within ourselves and see the selfishness, the pride, the self-righteousness, the, the wretch that is within us, we would say, who can save me? How can I be saved from myself, the decisions I make? But we can all find hope in Jesus' response to them in verse 27 where he says this. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Everything is possible with God. How can I be saved? Everything is possible with God. How can my son come back to Jesus? Everything is possible with God. How can this world be turned around? Everything is possible with God. Amen? Everything is possible. So if that man wasn't good enough to inherit eternal life, who can? Who can be saved? Can I take you to a man uh, that we actually, because of what Jesus said, we know that he was saved and inherits eternal life. And maybe we can find a comparison between these two men, okay? Some of you already know where I'm going. Let's go to Luke chapter 23, 39 through 43. This is the crucifixion scene, okay? Jesus has already been beaten and bruised for you and I. He's already taken the whip. He's already been nailed to the cross. And there's two other people hanging with him. Let's read. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Hold up. We just got a rich, religious guy who, even if he was being prideful in his statement, has clearly tried to lead his life in a godly way since he was a young man. And God says, you can't, you won't make it. But this thief who clearly is here for a reason you don't just get nailed to a cross just because you, you know, got a slap on the hand. Like, that's a big deal. He deserved it, and he realized it. But that guy gets to go to heaven. What's the difference between the two? One man is wondering if he's good enough to get eternal life. The other man knows that he deserves death. And that the only way he can be saved is by the guy on the cross next to him. What is that? That is total dependence. Total dependence, realizing that I, I can't do this on my own. I've already messed it up too bad. That leads me to my second encouragement today, which is surrender to total dependence on Jesus. Surrender to total dependence on Jesus. You know what I've come to realize? I wouldn't have told you this uh, 10 years ago because I thought I was pretty good 10 years ago. Um, but I've experienced some life since then. I've gotten married had a kid, experienced the pressures of life. And what I've come to realize is this, I'm nothing without Jesus. I'm nothing without Jesus. If I act as a good 
husband or a good father, a good friend or a good pastor. It's only because of Christ in me. Even the, the good deeds that I do today are because of something that, that God taught me 10 years ago. I'm nothing without Jesus. We are nothing without Jesus. And the quicker that we realize that, the quicker the pressure between living a good life will melt off of us because we realize that it's only Christ in me that allows me to live the life that I'm called to live. Paul said this exact same thing about himself. In Romans 7, 14 through 24, it says this. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. Anybody else been there before? I don't understand myself. For what I want to do, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's bad, but I do. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person am I. Who will free me from this life? that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God, the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's just Jesus in me. I'm nothing without him. I'm a sinner, I'm prideful, I'm selfish, I'm a wretch. And I think what has happened a little bit uh, in the global church is we used to be uh, so fire and brimstone, right? And I feel like we've kind of maybe sometimes swung the pendulum too far to where we're so loving and accepting. But you've got to have both. You can't preach one part of the gospel and not the other. Yes, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. He accepts me right where I am. He, he doesn't say I have to, to change before I come to him. He says, I accept you right where you're at. And together, we'll work out this life of salvation and justification and sanctification and all that. But the beauty of that is found in how much I don't deserve it. How much I, I need it. You and I, <laughs> we're wrecks. We're messes. We're messed up. And Jesus sees us in the mess and says, hey, I love you. I love you. You don't deserve my love. You're not worthy of it, but I'm still gonna give it to you. That's the full gospel. You can't have one without the other. So yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I'm prideful. Yes, I'm a wretch. Yes, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm messy. Those things are true. But because of God, there are some other things that are true as well. It's true that I am enough, but only because God made me enough. It's true that I have great purpose, but it's only because God created me with the purpose. It's true that I deserve blessing, but only because he made me a son and a daughter of the most high God. It's true that I am worthy, but only because he makes me worthy. It's true that I am strong enough, but only because it's his strength in me. It's true that I am a great leader, but only because it's Christ who leads through me. And it's true that I am a good person, but only because it's Christ's love 
in me. You see those posts that go around on Facebook? Uh, you are enough. You are worthy. You, all these things. And those things aren't wrong. They're just missing the second part. You are enough. It's because Jesus is in you. When I recognize that I am totally dependent on Christ, self-righteousness has to go. It doesn't work. They don't, they don't stay together. I'm nothing without God. And so when I learn to live the kind of life that is totally dependent on Jesus, I live a life where God defines for me what is good and what is bad. I take that pressure that was placed on humanity by the sin of Adam and Eve, and I remove it off of myself and place it back in the hands of God because that was his job to begin with, not mine. I don't know what's good and bad. I've tried to figure that out and I've messed it up many, many times. What I've also realized is there's so many things in my life that I called bad that now that I look back on them, I see the goodness of God all over them. I think about um, maybe some of us in the room, maybe you're a businessman and you've had a business in the past and maybe, maybe it didn't go the way you expected. Maybe you had people that worked for you and your concern was, man, if I, don't, if I don't keep this business going, what will happen to their jobs? What will happen to their circumstances? Who's to say that they wouldn't find a better job because they left yours? That's not up to you. The good and the bad is not up to you. How many of you guys have ever been drawn closer to Jesus because of hardships in your past? Yeah, you wouldn't have called those good back then. You would have called them bad. But because they went into the hands of a sovereign God, you can stand here today and say, hey, I'm better off because of it. We're not good at defining bad and good. We're not. God is. And when we remove that pressure off of ourselves, we allow him to do that Romans 8, 28 thing where he turns all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's his job, not mine. Amen? So when we learn how to live this life, we get to walk into my next encouragement, which is this. Walk in relational grace with the Holy Spirit. You see, we were meant to walk through this life hand in hand with God. The reason why that is possible for you and I today is because God sent his son, who was the perfect sacrifice for you and I. Jesus said, it's better that I leave because when I leave, I will send the comforter. He left, he died, he, he became that sacrifice for you and I. And now we have access to the Holy Spirit. The same spirit, by the way, that would kill a man, a priest, if he didn't properly cleanse himself before stepping into its presence, that same spirit now lives within you and I, resides within you and I. Yet daily Christians are neglecting its power by looking at their day and saying, how can I live and be a good person today? Instead of saying, Holy Spirit, this day is yours. How would you lead me? I'm gonna be in relationship with you, Holy Spirit, and your grace is going to empower me to do the good that you've set in front of me today. And you define that, not me. This is exactly what Paul was talking about in Galatians 5, where it says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what's bad. You won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. 
These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. You're not under the obligation of bad and good. When you are directed by the Spirit, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, when it's left up to you to decide what's good and bad, here's what it ends up looking like. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Not me. Not my own self-righteousness. In my own efforts, I can't produce this fruit. I'm not a peaceful person. I'm not a, 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 a just a happy-go-lucky person. Like, Self-righteousness, it just, that's, that's what I lean on. I'm not, a, I'm not a person that can easily exercise self-control. But when the Holy Spirit produces it, that's when it, it's possible. He produces this kind of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, and self-control. And against these things, there are no law. When I look at my day and say, Holy Spirit, have your way, I remove the pressure off of myself and say, Holy Spirit, if you want to provide this fruit for me today, I'll step in it. If you want me to act in this way today, I'll step in it. You guide my life. So are you good? Are you good? I'm not good. He's good in me. As I was kind of looking at closing this message, I wondered what happened to the rich young ruler. What happened to this young man? Uh, it's kind of interesting because Jesus points out his sin to him and then just kind of sends him on his way, right? For somebody who's characterized as the savior that just doesn't seem like it would be the end of the story because he turns around to his disciples and says, hey, it's possible that this man could go to heaven, but he doesn't, he doesn't tell the man that. Why? I started looking into this and... Um, a couple of encouragements for you. As you're studying the word and as you're uh, trying to, to read scripture, it's really important that you know the author of the book that you're reading. Because when you know that, you realize the motivations behind what they, uh, what they said and why they said it the way that they did. You can also realize the audience that they're preaching to, and that gives you some context. And so let me tell you about Mark, the writer of, of this book. Some things that we know about Mark is um, he was a, a very key player in the beginning of the early church. Uh, he went on missionary journeys with Paul and Barnabas. Um, he, uh, his mother, Mary, which we'll talk about her a little bit more later, she provided places for uh, them to have their church meetings and their church gatherings. Uh, Mark also, uh, in the trip with, with Paul and Barnabas, there were some disagreements between Paul and Barnabas about Mark. Paul had some uh, questions about his commitment to things, and so they actually uh, split ways. Mark went with Barnabas and continued to further the gospel with him. Paul went another way with Silas. Uh, but whatever that disagreement, whatever happened with that, we know that it eventually got resolved because in Paul's last days, when he's writing to Timothy, He's asking Timothy to bring Mark with him. And in his own words, he says, bring Mark because he is good for my ministry. He's beneficial to my ministry. And so we see that Mark 
was a, was a very key player in the church, in the ministry, in, in the pushing forward of, of the gospel. Like I said earlier, her, his, his mother was Mary, not, not Mary, the mother of Jesus, another Mary. Um, and what we know about her is, like I said, she uh, provided places for the church to meet. Uh, for that many people to meet in a place, uh, the house probably had to be pretty big. We also know that Mary had servants. And uh, back in that day, that was, a, uh, that was proof that you had a, a wealth, right? And so we know that this family, M- Mary and her son, Mark, were wealthy. You might see where I'm going with this. Okay? Like I said earlier, wealth in these days and being a religious person, you would be seen as a religious leader in that time. You would be highly esteemed. And we know that this man was a religious leader and a rich young man. Could it be that the reason why Jesus left this conversation right where it was is because maybe this was Mark? And people who have studied this story and people that have uh, uh, looked for this in church tradition, one of the reasons why many of them believe that this was Mark is because another, another thing to look for when you're studying scripture is especially in the synoptic gospels, which are the first three books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where they all tell a very similar, similar story of Jesus. In those gospels, uh, there will be specific details written in some that are not written in others. Sometimes that's because the writer is trying to get a certain point across, but other times it's because there's details that only that writer would have experienced, and so they can express that in their writing. Let me read to you. Uh, there's There's a part in this story that only Mark records. Matthew and Luke write the same exact story, And it's very, very similar across the board. There's little details that are different, but they don't really change the outlook of the story. But there is one detail that only Mark writes in his story. Let me read it to you. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. All these things. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. So far, across the synoptic gospels, most of this is the same. This detail is only recorded in Mark's gospel. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Could it be that the reason why Matthew and Luke did not record this is because to them and the eyewitnesses that they were talking with when they were recording this story, just saw this as a corrective moment and sent the young man on his way. But Mark, but Mark, many, many, many years later, after experiencing Jesus, after, after hearing about what Jesus had done for him, after, after being in relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, Mark looks back on the story and sees it differently. He says, you guys just saw it as a corrective moment. And, but when I looked up at Jesus and I heard what he said to me, yes, it hurt and I was sad, but I also saw genuine love in my Savior's face. What if Jesus knew that conversation was enough? That conversation was enough. I know that Mark will come to me 
I know that one day he will follow me. And what if after Mark saw what Jesus did, what if eternal life, because that's what he was asking about. God, how, Jesus, how do, I, how do I get eternal life? What if eternal life wasn't enough to motivate Mark to walk away from all of his riches? But after experiencing Jesus, after seeing what he did for him, he said, I'll leave that all behind and I will, I will press forward. I will go on missionary journeys. I will push the gospel and the kingdom of God forward because of Jesus, because of what he did for me. Mark had to face his self-righteousness. He had to realize that I'm, I'm nothing without God. Even though I think I've done really good, I'm nothing without Jesus. And because he realized that, he was able to walk out his life in relational grace with the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit said, Mark, it is good that you go this way. It is good that you go that way. It was genuine love. And that same spirit that led Mark to do those things is available to you today. If you're already in relationship with Jesus, it's already within you. And that's the life we are called to live. Amen. With all its battle eyes closed today, if you're in the room and you'd say, Cameron, I'm not walking in this way. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm striving. I've allowed the pressures of that to be all over me. And today, I want to let that pressure melt off of me. And I want to live every single day just allowing the Holy Spirit to, to walk with me and show me where I should go. At here, here in Edmond and at OKC, if that's you, if you just raise your hand. I want to pray for you real quick before we close this off. Awesome. Awesome. Let me pray for you, and then Pastor Oscar will take it over at OKC. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that I went forward today, and I pray that it was encouraging. Holy Spirit, you are an incredible gift to us, and I'm sorry for the times where we have not recognized your moving in our lives. I pray that from this day forward, for all of us that raised our hand, myself included, that you would remind us day in and day out, as soon as our head leaves the pillow in the morning, you would remind us, hey, I'm with you. I have a plan for you today. I have a purpose for you today. Will you let the pressures of this day fall back on me because I can handle it? Holy Spirit, we give you permission to remind us of that every single day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church/give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.